0: Coaching Inside the Box, a youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome back to Coaching Inside the Box, episode 52. It was a cold, dark, dreary Saturday morning in 2009, December to be exact, when we started to figure out that when we put kids in a small space and played league Saturday after Saturday after Saturday after Saturday in 4v4 tight, fast-paced league play, that's when it started to reali- we started to realize the opportunity that that provided to our players. For winter soccer to become the most developmentally appropriate, developmentally um, growth period for all of our players that we've ever had. Andy and Philippe, it's nice to see you. I'm excited to talk about winter soccer. It's just around the corner and what 4v4 indoor can do for not just our players, but players all across the world that embrace it and go after it in the same way that we have over more than a decade now. But before we dive into... Andy's got Andy's got jokes.
1: I never know how to intro these anymore. Like, we just do the jokes at the top. We should, like, before the podcast, have a section of jokes, and then we play the intro, and then we get into the podcast. Hey, uh, those listening, let us know what you think. <laughs> so if people are like, oh, he takes 17 minutes to take three jokes, okay, I can start at 18 minutes, Mark. <laughs>
2: Hey, you know, you know you love my jokes. <laughs> I actually enjoy them nowadays, to be honest. Because even if they're not funny, uh, it's they're just complicated
0: uh, my
1: intro. Uh,
0: yeah. To be fair.
2: Yeah. Uh, and you can't handle the pressure. <laughs> You're not really a legends coach, are you? <laughs> kick it out. When in doubt, kick it out. He didn't have 4v4 when he grew up. <laughs> we did not have 4v4 when I grew up, no. Um, These jokes are about the environment and crowds, but very loosely connected because I was struggling to connect those things, you know, because we're talking about the environment and how crowded it is today. Uh, So let's jump straight into the first joke. You have to think about this a little bit. If you meet a woman for the first time, start talking about global warming. It's a real icebreaker. That's a dad joke, isn't it? Make the point. It's a sorry. grandpa joke. <laughs> hey, I'm a grandpa. Uh, uh, so, during the last presidency, I asked my Mexican friend if he would be upset if Trump managed to build the wall. Do you know what he said?
1: Which side of the wall would I be in?
2: No, he said, I'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the owner of a drugstore walks in to find a guy leaning heavily against a wall. The owner asks the clerk, what's with that guy over there by the wall? The clerk says, well, he came here here there this morning to get something for his cough. I couldn't find the cough syrup, so I gave him an entire bottle of laxative. The owner says, you idiot, you can't treat a cough with laxatives? Oh, yeah, the clerk replies, he hasn't coughed all day, he's afraid to. <laughs> Uh,
0: I don't know how that connects to to indoor four v four well, um, I
2: think his stomach was crowded, I guess <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> it's It's somewhat loosely connected to the environment um very somewhat loosely <laughs> <laughs> so a man's been driving around a crowded parking lot trying to find a place to park, Lord, he prays, I can't take this any longer. If you open up a space for me, I swear I'll give up drinking and go to church every Sunday. Suddenly, the clouds part and the sun shines down on an empty parking spot. Without hesitation, the man says, hey, never mind, I found one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So much for the not drinking, etc. And lastly, but certainly not least, the Pope and Donald Trump are standing in front of a large crowd in the Vatican City. The Pope says to Trump, my son, do you know that with one little wave of my hand, I can make every person in this crowd go wild with joy. This joy will not be momentary display like that of your followers, but go deep into their hearts. And for the rest of their lives, whenever they speak of this day, they will rejoice. Trump replies, there's no way you can do that with one wave of your hand. Show me. So the Pope slapped him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> oh. All right, where were we again? Um, th- car- cold, dark morning in December of 2009 when we, f- when we erected our first indoor soccer facility on Melrose Avenue in Lenexa. Do you remember, Andy?
2: How could I forget? I left blood in that facility. And a lot you know, of that.
0: blood was left in that facility. I did Built most of the construction yeah. and...
2: Yeah, and, and you know, I skinned many a knuckle or worse, you know, while I was you know building that that indoor field. But it
0: was a dream, right? Like we had no idea what was to come out of out of putting together an indoor facility in the back of a warehouse, offices in the front, a small little club at the time, maybe 350 kids total involved in our program, plus uh, eight or nine hundred happy feeders, preschool kids. Um, now what? 14 years on, uh, almost 14 years, it's almost December of 2023, we're sat somewhere north of 2,500 kids in total. um, And it's just expanded and grown so much, Uh, but not just the number of players. The reason we've grown the number of players is, I think, because people have recognized the developmental value that our facilities and our coaching philosophy has provided.
2: Yeah, and, and it was not only a dream uh, that that grew out of this small field being available for games on weekends, because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about games. Yep. On weekends, weekend we're not stuff. talking about practice. We've done you know? we've done enough of that. You know, so you know this is purely focused. You know, uh, you know, and and honed in on the weekend game environment. But one of the things that you know we're going to include in this conversation today is the other piece of that facility that began something that I have leveraged on game day to a tremendous degree. And that is the bathroom. <laughs> I mean it's true you've leveraged the bathroom at every facility you've you've spent time uh, at. Haven't we all? Yeah. You know, <laughs> Not quite like you have, Andy. <laughs> I do my best thinking in there. Um so, you know, the you know, what did we have? You know, we we when we installed the field it gave us Aside from the fire exit egress, you know, that we had to have to get out of the building if there was a a major fire, it gave us um, a piece of real estate that we weren't going to use for the field, you know. And you know, we had to have a little bit of storage area in the back corner, but the other part was about 12 by 30 long. And what did we use it for? Soccer squash is what we called it in the day, yeah. Soccer squash, and we had no idea how powerful. Uh, this was going to be, you know, in, in the long run for the development of our players. You know, so, so Soccer Squash, or now as we call it, Box Soccer, has become a massive, massive player developer in our concept. You know, because we, we have, in the facility that we're currently broadcasting out of, we've got about 70 soccer boxes in this facility, you know, which is just un, unheard of. You know, it's a new concept and we've made a huge part of this facility uh soccer box oriented. So it's it's tremendously exciting, you know, but you know, we're gonna talk about how on game day that's part of our approach. Or at least it's it's been a part of every team I've coached in the facility on weekends, on game days, you know, whenever we've played in a league, whatever time of the year it's been, obviously winter. Number one, you know, we have incorporated box soccer into our game day system to the the massive benefit of the players that play for our club. makes sense uh, for those
0: listening, I am adding to our Facebook right now the minute and a half long virtual tour we gave of that facility fourteen years ago, so you can see specifically what inspired it all
2: so. And and then you know there's there's a, another thing that um, the, that I wanted to cover at the start of this conversation, which is that much of what we're going to be sharing with you today is simple statistical fact. Um, between the ages of sixteen and twenty, I served a four year purchasing apprenticeship uh, in the car industry, during which I was trained to buy everything to do with car manufacturing because I was being trained to be a purchaser, a buyer in the car industry. For four years, I went to college one day per, per week as a requirement for this apprenticeship. Um, a key subject on my academic curriculum was statistics. To many people, it was a dry and boring subject but I found it fascinating because when I related it to many of the things I did on a daily basis that were important to me, I realized how much time I was wasting and how much opportunity I was throwing away or failing to take advantage by not applying statistics to what I was doing. Long story short, I've applied this knowledge to soccer in many different ways ever since, with tremendous results. So, without any further ado, let's look at what this means to the players and families that play in our Legends Club and in our soccer box facilities around the nation, including the club facilities here in Kansas City. Any thoughts?
0: Uh, Philippe, you've talked about it before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. You growing up in Brazil, you had a first time in this environment, and um, you also had a first time, presumably, in this environment on a Saturday when games were going on. Maybe you were a ref, actually. Were you a ref? Yeah. That's how you started, was a ref while you were playing locally in college.
2: We had to make him a coach because of all the bad reports he was getting as a referee. (laughs) (laughs) He he was letting anything go. Tackles around the neck. you got to teach them
0: to be tough. (laughs) So many things are let go. Um, uh, But, Philippe, what were some of your... Do you remember some of your first reactions when you first came in on a Saturday afternoon?
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was very different because, first of all, saw all those small fields with... You know, all surrounding it, and I thought it was pretty cool because you know that's you have a lot of those places in Brazil. You know, the, the parks, the 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 country clubs, like uh, apartment complexes. You have you know a bunch of futsal courts all together. You know, like four four to eight to ten. You know, all together side by side, uh, and in that in, in Brazil's case, it's all fenced. You know, so ball doesn't get away. And, you know, you just jump in, kids of all ages, you know, just jumping in and playing. Um, and, and so that setup was already interesting, but obviously seeing that in turf, first thing was like, man, imagine if in Brazil was turf, you know, real ball and, you know, being able to play uh, in a much better surface, you know. So that was the first thing, and then when, when we were coach, when I started refing and I heard the coaches yelling, skill, 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 skill. Like, I, the word skill, I mean, obviously I was learning English, so the word skill in college soccer is not really used, right? So um, I, I didn't even know understand what it what it meant, and then I saw the kids just trying to do Maradona's, double scissors, L-turns, and being praised on that all the time. I'm like, this is pretty, pretty cool. It's pretty different, and and, and it's pretty cool. And it, I don't know, it just... For me, my first reaction was just thinking that it was really interesting and, you know, being able to see uh, what I did as a kid being taught, you know, being asked for as a coach. Like, my whole life, when I had somebody coaching, it was the opposite. It was like, do less of what you're doing, you know? Do less of what you're doing. Do less of what you're doing. You got to learn this, this, and that. You got to do this, this, and that instead, you know? And it was always that that fight, uh that internal fight of me as a key Brazilian kid worshiping the most skillful players trying to become them, and when I had somebody coaching or helping, you know it was telling me to do the exact opposite. you know so that's kind of the dichotomy that soccer players kind of have growing up uh, even in Brazil you know when you go play for anything that in quote unquote matters. Uh, they they want to win, so it's it's less risk. It's you know, but obviously in Brazil, it's mm, the freedom. It's more allowed. You know, if you do something, and you know, even if you lose the ball a few times, like it's fine. Here, what I've seen it's the opposite. So seeing that in the legends was like it was an eye opener. And and I thought it was pretty interesting.
0: It's interesting that you say coaches would tell you to do less or you'd hear coaches tell other players to do less. Andy, you've made a habit as of late. I don't remember hearing this a ton specifically in this way as a kid while I was playing. But do more is something that you say often. Can you uh, tell us what you mean by that?
2: Well, you know, and this relates to the environment that we're in, you know, because, you know, we're in crowded environments that, that you know, are, you know, bats in a cave type environments where, you know, all around you there's mayhem, you know, and crazy things are happening, you know, like that insurance ad on TV when, you know, the guy's driving the car into things and smashing things and he's got, you know, You know, one of his legs is in a plaster cast, and you know he's got you know a big plaster across his head, and you know it's you know it's mayhem that you know that 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 you know that's all about. And so, of course, you need insurance. You know, here it's mayhem that thankfully you know doesn't involve in medical visits very often. You know, all forms of soccer have a medical visit sooner or later, but you know what we're doing is you know is we're we're you know handling. Um, A ton of chaos, you know, and learning to be that creative player, that team leader, that captain type personality that walks on the field and says, give me the ball, I'm here, you know, because, you know, I can handle that chaos. And, And so but I want to make the point that before investing in our first Kansas City Metro Indoor Training Center i spend spent a ton of time, a long time studying the advantages and disadvantages of the various indoor training and playing field installation options available, you know, for uh, indoor, you know, opportunities. And these inclo- included what we ended up with, which is boarded 4v4, but also, you know, futsal courts, larger, you know, boarded field options like the MISL type game, you know, which is Typically about two hundred feet by about uh, you know eighty eighty five feet wide, uh, and uh, and and I broke my um, analysis down into two main buckets, which was the league environment and the practice environment, you know, because obviously those two main buckets, those two very different options, you know, have to be regarded from different perspectives, and uh, and this podcast is about the game day. You know environment, so all of my game day statistical calculations were centered around the developmental advantages players would specifically enjoy because they played at least one game a week in a small boarded environment that we decided upon as a result of all this analysis you know and and, and that's what we're we're here to discuss is that game day, small boarded environment, why it's vastly better than footall, why it's vastly better than the MISL indoor version and why all of the options are vastly better than open field options indoors, you know, like a lot of facilities that I'm aware of. In Detroit, for example, they're huge domes with full-size fields or nearly full-size fields indoors, you know, that, you know, teams come in on the weekend And play 11 on 11 inside, you know, and to my mind, that's the least developmental option of all of the options, you know, that are available during the winter that are climate controlled and indoors, you know, in North America and possibly the world.
1: So one thing that I've been doing a lot lately is listening to a ton of podcasts in Brazilian soccer, a bunch of former players giving interviews, Korean players and stuff, and like, it, it, it's very evident that, like, we study that stuff when we have this curriculum. So we see certain things. But when I hear people that, you know, played soccer their whole life but and then went on and, you know, made a fortune and it, it just went on and lived their life. But when they talk about soccer, they recognize the same things. It makes me think we're really onto to something. One thing that I hear all the time talking about development of players and stuff, you watch an outdoor game at u 10 9 9v9, whatever it is, at 25 minute halves, if you're playing equal playing time and the kid plays, you know, 60% of the game, maybe they'll be in for, what, 15 minutes max in the whole game. An outdoor environment, how many times is that kid going to touch the ball? Three, four times?
0: Less than that if they're playing a good legends team. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So they don't, the kid, how can the kid develop if they barely touch the soccer ball. They're running around. They're following the play. Maybe they're learning something. Most times at that age, they're not really know what they're, where they're running to. Maybe they're learning a little concept here and there. They're not touching the ball I in 4v4.
0: I don't know, Philippe. In the big game, you touch the ball so little, but there's a lot more running. So I think it makes sense to spend most of your time training running.
2: <laughs> I, I had an interesting conversation yesterday. You know, one of our <laughs> podcast listeners, um, you know, uh, you know said you know have you got a few minutes on the phone and he's, he's talking about two versus two you know for I think it was nine-year-olds and he's saying you know I'm struggling with you know the, the tactical side of the two versus two because when one of my players has got the ball and they're going forward you know I, I want to see the other player tuck in and cover against the the breakaway should they lose the ball you know <laughs> and I was like But what about supporting the player that's going forward that has the ball, you know, as a first option? Forget the tactics of not giving up a goal as one player goes forward. You know, let's get forward with that player and offer them an option that makes the defense less sure of the you know, whether they're going to be taken on or not. You know, so if that player goes forward, then the defenders have to spread out more. You know, and they can't just focus on pressuring and a cover player covering the player that's pressuring. You know, they've got to you know, spread out more, and one's got to be thinking about marking or at least matching up with the player that's coming forward you know, you know, that's creating another option for the attacker. You know, and so he was in a tactical mode, but he was in a negative tactical mode yeah. because it was too risk-oriented having this player go forward dribbling, you know, and it would leave a big hole at the back that would be open to the counterattack. And, of course, it's open to the counterattack. But when you're 13, 14, that's really easy to deal with. You know, so, you know, from, a, from a maturity perspective, you can just explain that and players get it. But what they don't get is how to support the player going forward you know, and how to make runs off of that player and you know, how to take defenders away from that player if they're in a covering position and all of the things that are on the more creative side of that, of that option. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, so it, it was uh, it was it was quite.
0: I mean, it makes sense, but it's funny to think about it, right? Like I grew up playing for you, and I grew up where one v ones and two v twos were our diet. That's what we did. There was never there was never any any prescribed practice activity that was different than that, uh, um, and um, and like it never occurred to me until this exact moment when you described that that you could look to play two V two in any way other than we're just going for it. We're just playing. Like, like when we have the ball, we're trying to score and we don't have the ball, we're trying to get it back. And then it flips. Well, um, and I never considered the idea of like, well, let's play a conservative style of two V two other know, than when I was tired and I would go hide in the corner of the field and hope the kids wouldn't put me under pressure so I could get my breath.
2: You know, it's funny. Me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he brought that up. And yeah. I think, well, you know, that's actually quite a good point. You know, Never you know, considered it. But, I, you know, I was just focused on going for it and teaching you guys to go mm-hmm. for it, you know, and solve the more difficult problem, which is always the creative problem. At another point during the conversation, you know, he got into an, uh, another defensive thing, you know, and, uh, you know, and I stopped him and I said, okay, let's look at defense, right? You know, let's look at defense. Is that creation or destruction? And of course, he said destruction, a bright guy. And I said, yeah, it's destruction, Right, so you know what's the really difficult thing to do? I said, you know, I can bring a sledgehammer into my current you know I'm walking around the kitchen because I like to walk and talk you know and and multitask and get my exercise I'm an old guy, walking's about all I do these days, and get my exercise while I 'm on the phone with people, you know, so I always get ten thousand steps in the day, so I'm being creative and I'm walking and talking, but I can bring my sledgehammer into this space. You know, and I can cause thousands of dollars worth of damage in ten minutes. You go girl <laughs> <laughs> with my sledgehammer. That's destruction, that's defense, you know, that's that negative attitude towards, you know, the the options available. I said, but if I tried to build what I destroyed, it would take me weeks, months and years. In ten minutes I can destroy so much, it would take me weeks, months and years to rebuild it to the standard it was before I took my sledgehammer to it. And that's the nature of our game. It takes an incredible amount of time to learn to be creative, which is why I think a lot of coaches, they're not dedicated to it because they can get a result by focusing on taking the sledgehammer to the opposition, you know, and making sure the opposition doesn't score, you know, and as Philippe was saying earlier on about his team getting brutalized, you know, in, in games, you know, you know, we could do what other coaches are doing: focus on the negative, stopping the other team scoring, and we wouldn't be developing any Leo Messes, you know, any Pelés, Maradonas, anybody that, yeah, in you, their, you, their you level. <laughs> Uh, not so much. Um, <laughs> at their level, you know, are, are able to dominate the opponents and score goals, whether that level be, you know, they stop playing in high school or they go on and play in college and they stop after college or or they go on and play some professional and they can still do that at the professional level and add something really funky to their team's performance and opportunity to win. You know, and so, you know, but let's, let's look. And if I can do a little bit of a pivot, let's really focus on shooting first. You know, so we have to break down deceptive dribbling, we have to break down shooting as the two most creative skills of the game that very probably influence goal scoring more than any other. And the reason, you know, I say shooting as a release skill influences the game more than passing is a shot is nothing but the most difficult pass. So if we're really good at shooting... We've got to be brilliant at passing. If I can bend the ball like Leo Messi from 25 yards around the wall and into the top corner of the net, how difficult is the assist pass for me? You know, if I can do the really difficult thing with power and accuracy, how how difficult is it to take power off of the ball and and get the right weight and the right accuracy in order to create an assist for my teammate? So, you know, um, in closing... Each 72 by 36 field that we've got in our facility with eight foot boards and netting equated to an avalanche of extra shots in our facility because the ball always stays in play. It's a simple concept, but in football, a ball in and out of play, that costs you an avalanche in the wrong direction of shots. In our facility, because the ball stays in play, you shoot, you miss, it comes back off the boards. There's another shot. You shoot again, you miss again, it comes back off the boards. There's potentially another shot, and this goes on all day long because the ball gets away. Never gets away from the field, and and, and so there's no stoppages in play. And the statistical difference between shots taken on our fields versus on a futsal court or a 200 by 80 MISL boarded field. Field is, is immense. It, it's honestly like comparing the Grand Canyon to the Suez Canal or Mount Everest to a Giza pyramid. The difference is absolutely frightening in the number of shots. And, but why such a huge disparity? Firstly, on our four versus four fields, every player, including the goalkeeper, is always within shooting distance of the opposing goal every time they receive the ball. And we've got age related fields for the two, three, four, five, six year olds. We've got age related fields for the seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds. And we've got age related fields for everything above 12 and 13 years of age. You know, so you know, we, we have made sure that every player of every age is within shooting distance all the time. Secondly, we're a shooting club you know everybody looks upon our club as a dribbling club you know because that's what we do more because shots are reasonably rare compared to opportunities to dribble dribble which which comes every possession right shots come once in a while especially on an outdoor field you know but we are a shooting club and what i mean by that is our coaches drum into the very fiber of our players being that the very first responsibility each player has when they get the ball is to put the ball in the back of the net in a relatively short time, new Legends players flip the shooting switch and have a go almost every time they get the ball. The older adage is, if you don't shoot, you don't score. And who can argue with that? You know, so <laughs> as a result, every indoor league game we play is a shot fest. We regularly get games with upwards of 40 goals when we total up the score of the game. How wonderful is that? Other people might say... That's ridiculous. That's not soccer. But it's the most difficult part of soccer. Scoring a goal is the number one most difficult thing to do. And we get upwards of 40 goals regularly in games, in our facilities, on our small boarded fields. What do you think? Well, I think
1: one thing that I keep thinking every time I watch my team play and when I compare them to other teams... Our ability to transition from offense to defense is just off the charts. And right now that my boys, you know, are understanding the game better because not because we spend time in tactical stuff, but just because we play a lot of games, right? We travel, we travel to nine states last year to play. So we're playing all the time high-level games. So they learn. Uh, but they learn how to play in a way that they suffocate teams because as soon as they lose it, they already, we already play in such proximity because we play 4v4, so we play in tight spaces, so our players try to get close to each other so they can combine, kick skill out of the pressure, and then, you know, get on a 2v1 situation or something like that. Uh, and they're already around the ball, and as soon as they lose it, they suffocate the defender. They press right away, and they win it back. And it doesn't let the other team get the rhythm because they're, they're, their immediate switch is and when they win the ball their excitement of let's go forwards and throwing numbers and if they lose and it's a counter they're going to work back it's like it's non-stop because it's what happens here so it's not that game that you know get the ball and move to the side oh it's not open and Go try to go center mid center mid can turn play back to center back go to the other side and keep going like that and then oh it's nothing's really happening play a long ball you know it, it that's, that's not it we go we lose we press we win it we, it's transition all the time and teams are not used to play at that la- at that pace and teams get tired teams get frustrated you know and it's I think that's a lot of when we besides the skill portion obviously. The shot portion, obviously, but just in terms of also mentality and intensity in play, it's just, it's just incredible.
0: Well, it's, it's actually, transition's a great thing to bring up. And I think that 4v4, four four, our indoor game play that our kids spend hours and hours and hours doing is a uh, is the reason behind our transition being so solid. I want to talk about the transition from defense to offense for a second. In our 4v4 four four gameplay scenario, when a kid wins the ball, right? Andy just mentioned it. Like we have upwards of 40 plus goals every every game. So there's not so much a concern for a 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old. If I lose it, they're going to score. It's instead, as soon as they win in the ball. How quickly can I create space for a shot? Right, um, and and what does that translate like? Obviously, it works really well. They make a ton of mistakes in the in the backfield. How does that translate to a full field game or to a ninety nine game that the kids are playing um, during the spring and the summer, or the spring and the fall for us? And you know, I, I have this vision in my head of a recent game uh, for my twenty thirteen team, and my left back wins the ball off of their right forward, um, but wins the ball, steals it off of him, but not in a way that like he can attack this right forward is still right in front of him and he kind of wins it facing his own goal every other team that we play, right, is, is is likely to play the ball back to the keeper, play the ball back to the center back, and reset, reset, right? We hear the coaches yelling, reset, reset, get organized again. So do a really safe thing so we can get ourselves organized before we start attacking. What does that do for the defense? Well, the defense gets to reset as well and get reorganized on how they're going to play. Instead, my left back, right, get, wins the ball facing his own, his, his own net, takes a touch, a Fake shot as though he's going to play a 45 yard diagonal ball to our right forward. L turn, right? Draws the right forward in, and then destroys him with a Maradona, and now attacking full throated into in the into the uh, the middle third
1: of the with field with numbers up because you just left two guys behind. Just
2: absolutely, but, but destroyed that's him. crazy. That's high risk in your own defensive third. It's totally why, high risk. Why in- would anybody ever do that and because lose the game? <laughs> because they're ten. Because <laughs> they're ten. But ten is so important to win the game, right? <laughs> but my, he, my ego as a coach is tied into winning the game. It, I want to win. I don't want my players to be incredible. <laughs> (laughs) That's a great point. And and this group's winning. And this group's
0: winning because they've spent hours and hours and hours. Perfecting the defense-to-offense transition in a totally unpredictable, creative oh, way. Winning. so they so So that they step onto the 9v9 field and they keep on winning, no matter how you want to define it, whether you define it by goals in the back of the net or you define it the way that I think we should define it, which is kids continuing to get better, kids growing in self-confidence. W- that, that, winning
2: that, should be in child development optimizing every individual's creative potential. That you know, that should be what winning's all about. What's important now is
0: what what improvement next. Absolutely, right? yeah, yeah. I drummed that into you as a kid. A, a thousand percent. Um, but but I think it's that transition that comes from the four v four indoor gameplay environment that enables us to transition from offense to defense, but just as much defense to offense. Yeah. The second we win the ball, we're not thinking about the safe play. The let's let's maintain possession. Every one of our kids is immediately thinking about okay, in this specific scenario, how do I create space for a shot because andy's as andy mentioned at the top of the show right these fields are so small you're always in within shooting distance you might not have the space so you got to use some some skill to create you know a, a ball width of space to then be able to have that shot and, and that on, on and frame
1: and that's what we, you need when you're near the penalty area you don't have 10 yards of space to explode you have to create a little bit of space to create a shot to create a pass whatever you know i the, you don't have where in, the, in, in the areas of the game that the goals are more scored they're less space. so you gotta be creative in, in tight space and the other thing is like Andy said in 4v4 being always in, within shooting range for the defender is way harder because it's way hard to defend a player that has an opportunity to pass and to shoot because you have to come so much tighter to prevent the shot on defense so when what I start to see more and more and more my players in the midfield, they press and they defend so tight because they're used to get so tight to block shots that when they're in the midfield that the guys are trying to pass sideways and backwards and they're all over their face, the guys are panicking, you know? So it's just everything that the more I, I, I do 4v4, you know, my bars are older, they still play, you know? And when we when we go outside, I just see... The areas that they were always good at, they keep getting better at and the gap between them and the other teams in in these areas, which I think are the most important, the skill part, the mentality, the shooting and, you know, the intensity, the transition, all of that, you know, it, it. it comes from 4 before more uh, so than anything else. I never
0: considered until just now when he said that, but it's the Desmond Douglas. It's another analogy for Desmond Douglas and the way he plays ping pong um, is my kids are so used in this tight space in the midfield to just crowd the space and the teams wanting to and play they up to up to the table up to right? up to the table like, a yeah. like, being a
2: table way tennis way star yeah, yeah. from England for the, those episode of you that bit of Yeah, you, didn't hear the episode. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. go back to that episode and listen to it. It's a great episode. <laughs> Uh, you know, but he played belly up to the table, never retreated, never played defense, you know, so the pressure on the opponent was always immense. Yep. Well, think uh, think
1: football, think American football. How if you give this Brazilian if you no, but American American if you look, football. if you look at Patrick Mahomes, you even know what that is? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I got his an offer wife, his wife <laughs> hey I got an said. offer to be a college kicker did you guys get an offer to play college football I did yeah oh you did as a kicker yeah oh uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy did it yeah, yeah, Rugby, there, was, there maybe. wasn't
2: an awful <laughs> lot of that around in South Wales where I went to college You know, Andy's all well, not even in Brazil
1: not in Brazil I was here Leave, leave the age out of this. You know, uh, as long as you feel. But, like, you look at Patrick Mahomes, Stone Brady, the great center back, the uh, quarterback, see, I want to say center back. <laughs> uh, if you give them time to receive the ball and look up, what are they going to do? They're going to find something. So, the defense, the good defense will press them in a way that they can look up, right? They, they They will have less time on the ball to look up and make a decision. It's the same with a creative midfielder. You get you give a, a Leo Messi time to get the ball and look up. Well, he probably looked checked his shoulders 17 times before he got the ball. But still, if he receives and turns and looks up, he's going to find something. You can't let the guy look up. You've got to press, press hard and press so, hard. And our kids so do that.
2: Wh- while we're in this discussion, you know, my mind strays to... Uh, and this is a great segue into the next section that I wanted to talk about with regard to... Uh, You know, this form of 4v4 indoor boarded soccer versus futsal. Um, My daughter made the futsal national team after never having once played a game of futsal. You know, went to a tryout. You know, we went for a road trip into Wisconsin. She went to a tryout. Boys and girls were thrown in together. She just treated the futsal ball like it was a regular ball. You know, almost didn't realize that it was a low bounce ball because she's just so in in the habit of going for it. You know, and, and playing fast and playing tight and winning the ball on the other side. Side of defense, and she was a standout both on the dirty side of the ball as well as especially on the creative side of the ball, beating people and scoring goals. And never had played football up until this point, you know. And so, you know, we get to the final tryout, she does the same thing, and she actually uh, made the team a year up because they felt that she was good enough the, the only player in her age group, good enough to play up a year on the US national team. So, we, we go to Columbia, Columbia, South America, to play international competition. Not Missouri not not Missouri and we are in an international com- competition in Colombia uh, the very first game she ever played you know of futsal was wearing the US national team shirt you know which is really really uh, incredible and um, but I was struck all the way through that trip to Colombia and this is uh, you know against some of the very best and with some of the very best futsal players you know how conservative everybody was there was so much possession passing in the game. It was so tactical. It was so trying to work it around to get a 100% guaranteed scoring opportunity. It wasn't risk-oriented. You know, it wasn't taking people on, going one-on-one. That was, that was n- no part of the coach's rhetoric. But that was Holly's game completely was getting the ball, beating players, you know, making other defenders collapse on them, sliding the ball off for an assist or scoring the goal on her, on her own, you know. And they made her the Pivot, the number 10, you know, the arguably, you know, the most creative player on a futsal team is the Pivot, you know, and that's the, the position she played the whole of the time in every game she played, you know, in, in Colombia. And after Colombia, she never played futsal again. You know, so, you know, you know, it was time to move on, time to go on to the next thing, you know. And, and so, you know, but the point I'm making is, is why is futsal, futsal um, so conservative? Why isn't it, you know, as adventurous as indoor 4v4? And why did I choose the 4v4 boarded real ball option as opposed to the futsal option? You know, from its inception in Uruguay and Argentina, futsal balls were intentionally deadened to prevent damage to the gymnasium windows, light bulbs and fixtures of the gyms that the games were played in. Unfortunately, this deadening of futsal balls to 40% of the rebound of a regular ball, that's two and a half times less bouncy. Two and a half times, that's massive. Unfortunately, it reduces the likelihood of a player taking a shot and therefore scoring to a massive degree because they know they can't get the power on the ball and once you get into a player's head and you get you undermine their confidence especially a youth player you know best of luck trying to rebuild that confidence so a futsal ball is a real damaging ball to use if you're trying to get kids to shoot because they know they're two and a half times less likely to get the power on the ball needed to score which is why i believe futsal coaches Um, concoct elaborate schemes to pass the ball around quickly to create a close-to-goal scoring opportunity. And that was like 90% of the tactile information that Holly received in Colombia was how to play a quick passing game in order to get the ball to the back post for a tap-in. You know, it it was just intriguing you know, how little was about creating an opportunity that was difficult, that, you know, that, that was really magical in the way it was created. There was, there was none of that. Sadly, having to shoot a heavier and deader futsal wall works as a deterrent to long distance and even mid-range shots. Shooting is one of two soccer skills most undermined by a lack of confidence. The other one is deceptive dribbling. This means that the statistical impact of playing with a low bounce football has a greater negative impact than the expected 60% drop in shooting attempts because the ball is less bouncy. Less confidence is magnified and multiplied by habit. Therefore, the poor statistical results when factored with an ongoing loss of confidence can cause attempted shots to tank to well below the 60% level that you would expect because it's a lower bounce ball. Does that make sense? Sure. Thoughts?
0: I've never coached a futsal game, uh, but I did uh, several years ago, um, go and watch uh, the uh, super high level futsal game, youth game here in in town. It was, I had several kids that left my team that I was coaching to go play for Sporting Academy, and Sporting's Academy played futsal. um, And they were playing up a year against the top um, uh, Sporting Blue Valley, Uh, club so ostensibly the two best futsal teams in that age bracket in kansas city went and watched the game i was kind of excited to watch it never seen futsal live other than the clips that we see on the internet and the clips that we see on the internet are the exception right that's the the super creative uh stuff typically we see went and watched it i was blown away by the conservatism in the game genuinely blown away the goals were by the ostensibly top tier. I mean, these were these were the two teams that were vying for the Futsal National Championship, right? Like, I was blown away. The goals were scored by mistakes in the back. The goals weren't scored by a creation. They didn't create the goal from an offensive perspective. They created the goal by pressuring and winning the ball back. Um, um, and the number of sideways and backwards passes it, to, to just maintain possession, to, to, to look for an opening, as you just mentioned, I genuinely – off the charts blown away at how conservative the game was and how much slower it was because the ball was so heavy and moved so slowly.
1: Yeah and I'll I'll be honest with you guys, I, I mean in, Bra- in, in no I in Brazil it's way more creative than that. Sure. But but it's 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 different because the Brazilian kids that go into that environment when they go recruited to play in a futsal academy of Santos, Flamengo, Vasco, whatever they're getting the kids that are the next guys that are going to be sold to Europe for millions. So the Rooks kids are extremely talented. Those are the clips we see on the internet. Yeah, and those kids are extremely talented. And that doesn't exist in the USA. So Exactly. So when those kids
2: haven't grown up in the favelas taking people on and doing amazing things. Doing
1: the 4v4 stuff organically. So when those kids get in and they learn a little bit of a tactical and a system and are allowed to nobody told Neymar when he was a kid or Coutinho because these two are my generation or Lucas Moura to receive and pass they let them do their thing I actually watched the other day a a 15 minute clip of Neymar playing a full 15 minute game, he got the ball and tried to take people on all the time, he was playing the the center back in the futsal got the ball from the keeper, first thing he did was double scissor in front of the striker, beat the striker the pivot of the other team pass and move or keep going and that that's that's a different culture that we have in brazil when we look here it's literally it's the most frustrating game i've seen it's literally pass and move sideways and backwards work on patterns of movements to try to find a combination play that will get you in the back post for a tap in it's 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 what a professional coach would Get these talented players to try to win. Uh, uh, Brazil just won the World Cup uh, le- last weekend, and that's what probably the coach would do. You know, oh, that's how we're gonna break down the defense. Well, the th- the game was like three-two, and th- I think all three Brazilian goals came out of skill. You know, and it's it's when it, it's it has it has it has obviously values. I think it's better than nine-v-nine soccer for for. For young kids, because there are more reps, but, you know, it's definitely, uh, especially in the in where we are, it, it, the 4v4 just has so many more um, benefits, and again, the kids that play futsal in Brazil and in South America, and they're really good at it, they played street soccer their whole life until that point, and they
2: still do, they don't just play futsal,
1: they keep playing street soccer all the time, and, you know, the culture is different as well, so...
2: So we started this podcast with the shooting side of things and and we flipped into the deceptive dribbling side of things, you know, um, so so let's um, let's get more into that. And and this should be self-explanatory. But for those of our listeners who have bought into the coach speak myth of safety first passing. Uh, Great players and teams aren't developed by simply keeping the ball away from the opposition. They're developed in order of importance by scoring goals, creating goal scoring opportunities with aggressive dribbling and penetrating passing. You know, notice how these are all high risk skills. You know, deceptive dribbling through chaos is that rare and powerful skill that only the greatest players were successful at. On our 4v4 fields, deceptive dribbling is not just an option, it's vital. It's the lifeblood of chaotic, small-sided games. To play 4v4 without moves and fakes would be like pop music, without singing, painting, without brushes, acting, without speaking. And the good news is that our 4v4 league games eclipse any other form of team competition for attempted dribbles, as a statistic. Going back to statistics and their importance, attempted dribbles and attempted shots are off of the charts in our indoor facilities. It is just crazy how the rest of the world has missed this obvious facet of, you know, why futsal is not and is by far not the best option for indoor play. You know, during the winter in Kansas City, you have no option. You have to go indoors. But it's definitely not the best option,
1: and that's the part that I don't understand about about the U.S. That we have winter, five months of winter in lots of states, and it comes to winter, it goes down to one practice a week. You know, it 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 makes no sense.
0: Well, it does make sense. It's a struggle struggle for gym space. It's a struggle for space. That's that's where it, that's where it, it originates from. Um, uh, but all the more reason, go back and listen to our Blue Ocean Strategy podcast. We're happy to partner
1: with you and help you build a facility where you no longer have a gym space issue. It can't just be (laughs) gym space, man. It can't. It's the time that, oh, it's off season. We don't have outdoor soccer. We don't have meaningful games. We don't have this. We don't have that. You know, so it's, I, I think the US soccer doesn't see the value on, you know, on a small setting of of play, uh, the way you should. I mean, Brazil doesn't. The kids don't play outdoors until they're thirteen, and most of them. And we're talking the professional academies. Most of them, up until they're fifteen, they do both. They still play. They train twice a day. It's their reality. Soccer is their life. But they do futsal in the morning and 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 outdoor in the afternoon. They still. That's how much. But, but value. they
2: still play street soccer, right? In well addition, I, at,
1: uh, at that point they're tr- training twice a day they're they're a full-time job for them so they are yeah, up
2: until 13 they yeah. play loads and loads oh, of stuff Oh 100%
1: soccer. 100% right? 100% but still it, it's Brazil and Argentina is the same way they don't want the kids going outdoors too early they want to keep them out of the outdoor game because they understand uh, uh, like we we cover in the other podcast, a twelve thirteen year old that grows too fast and gets all that massive space, there's no way that kid is not going to develop bad habits. how that ki- that kid can take one touch and blow past three people just because he's bigger, faster, and stronger, you know, especially when you go to Brazil and still have those people that like their age you know to to try to gain advantage and, and all that but brazil, Argentina friends, they see the value of the the small sided game the the kids having more touches, the kids they sometimes haven't realized the degree of what they can maximize of getting the street soccer into their system and doing that for longer providing what the kids had growing up for longer, but
0: I think you're shortchanging American coaches. I think in America, we see the value of the small sided game too. So much so that we talk about it a lot before we get to practice and practice offense first defense in 11v11 style and then do running.
1: <laughs> the, or small sided for them is play a 4v1 rondo in a small space. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> small sided. <I> small sided <laughs> games. Four v one Rondo.
2: More space in a four v one Rondo than.
0: how much we appreciate those small sided games,
2: Philippe. I think you confuse small sided with the coach, and you kind of, you know, you should have been, you know, pointing out that that's small minded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, let's let's. let's um, Let's look at why boarded 4v4 develops great dribblers. Why is it that 4v4 develops great dribblers? Boarded 4v4 is close to goal. So every player gets the ball and they know that one quick move and the whole banana is right there for them. You know, So if they can create just the width of a ball, you know, which is what we emphasize here, all you need is the width of the ball to score you know and you're 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 going to be close enough to goal to shoot the first thing in their mind is yeah 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 i'm going to score i'm going to score you know so that, you know it, it develops that that hunger it's it's tight it's fast and and uh, like basketball does you know in and around the you know the the arc It regularly rewards the skillful dribbler with a shooting opportunity. One slick move is often all that's needed to create a goal-scoring opportunity. Unfortunately for futsal players, deceptive dribbling um, explodes the number of defensive fouls and falls to the floor after being tripped. Now, this may not be obvious to, to a lot of people. Futsal floors are unforgiving. They are rock hard. Oh, yeah. And one hard fall is all it takes to discourage a creative dribbler from continuing to take defenders on. You know, I go down hard. Maybe the referee doesn't call it. Maybe even they do call it. You know, but I'm hurt. I'm bruised. You know, I start giving the ball away. I don't want another one of those experiences, especially if it's a bad referee and he's letting everything go. You know, and and so um, as a consequence, futsal is decidedly lacking in brave one-versus-one confrontations. And confidence is vital in deceptive dribbling. The carpeted environment in our soccer box and legends facilities gives players the belief that even if they are tripped and fall, they won't be hurt. In futsal, the opposite is true. Much in the same way that the low-bouse ball takes away the confidence to shoot, the hard futsal surface takes away the confidence to attempt the dribbling moves, the best dribbling moves. Make sense?
1: because I keep telling my friends we get together, you know, a bunch of Brazilians, we get together and play, you know, once a week or whenever we can. And I always try to convince them to come play here because, I mean, we go play futsal courts on the, you know, in in KCK and it's asphalt. You fall, it, it, it hurts so bad. Like the next day I come to work and I'm bruised all over, you know, bleeding and all that. My wife's like, where you, what were you doing i'm like would you go to war i'm like no i was just playing just playing futsal you know i'm used to it because i did that as a kid all the time playing in asphalt so it, it's just part of me but now that i'm 30 i'm like i ah, mean, the next day it's, it's it's just bad it hurts you i don't know? remember
2: as a kid ever not having scabs on my knees because we used to play on asphalt all the time at school in the playground you know and and uh you know it was just a you know a, a, a sign of a, a soccer existence was the fact that you had scabs on your knees. You're pro- you were proud of it. Yeah, but the, the problem is, though, that I remember not, not dribbling because I knew I was gonna get brought down if I dribbled. Even when I was eight, nine, 10, 11 years of age, I didn't dribble because I didn't want more scabs because they were painful.
0: I, I, we're the wealth- I
1: still did, but I was crazy.
0: <laughs> we're the wealthiest country on earth in terms of investment into youth sports. Why on earth do we choose to have our soccer players One of our most commercialized games within the entire uh, sports landscape, in the most commercialized youth sports landscape in the world, why on earth do we choose? to put our kids on not-soccer surfaces, on basketball floors, on tile sport court floors. It makes zero sense, especially when you step back from it and say, there's no developmental value to playing on those floors. The only argument you could kind of make is the floor makes the play fast, which is immediately debunked when like, yeah, but you use a heavy ball that makes the play slow. And that, and you have to use the heavy ball because you're playing on the fast, the fast surface. Like, it makes zero sense. We've talked about it on this podcast before. If you guys are listening for the first time, and wondering. We we think that whoever convinced U.S. soccer to get behind futsal is the best salesman in the history of mankind. Snake oil salesman. Snake oil salesman in the history of mankind. Yeah. You know, and
2: the interesting thing is that basketball, you know, began up in the Northeast, you know, and it was... Uh, you know, it was it was begun as a, a college winter recreational program, you know, um, for, you know, a, a bunch of you know, athletes, including football players. And they had to, you know, create a whole set of rules to stop the football players tackling each other <laughs> indoors, you know, because it was so dangerous to go down on the hard basketball floors. Now, this is basketball. So this is a hand based game. You know, and so they created a set of rules where all you have to do is breathe on a player in basketball and it's a foul, right?
0: That sounds like the Andy I know. Yeah, you know, so,
2: you know, I look at basketball and that was a foul. What happened? You know, uh, you know. Did, did you know? Did, did somebody bu- did somebody brush against somebody's hair? That, <laughs> you know, it, it,
1: that's the only thing on basketball that I don't understand. You know, I never know what's a foul and what's not a foul. Because for me, like anything, every time that guy throws in the ball doesn't fall free throw, I'm like, what the hell?
2: Yeah. And it's so stop and go because of all the fouls. You know, it's you know, it's just unbelievable. And and so you know, but then it makes sense because you know they didn't want you know they they were literally having broken bones and problems when they tried to do you know the first forms of something. Something indoors in the gym that eventually um, evolved into basketball, you know. And but soccer's worse. In basketball, you're using your hands, you know. In soccer, you're dribbling a ball, you know. And we all know it happens. It only takes a little clip while you're moving at speed. For you to go down, you know, like a lead balloon, you go down hard on a hard surface and all it takes is a little clip. The very first time I started doing um, indoor evaluations between our, you know, between the the turf indoor field situation and uh, footsall, I went to the Roland Park Dome here in Kansas City. And an old family, you know, that is, you know the root of, uh, you know, soccer in Kansas City, you know, their son, Roman, who I got to coach again this summer uh, for the Kansas City Soul, you know, Roman Knox was playing futsal for Sporting Kansas City's youth team, you know, and somebody clipped him when he was doing, you know, he wasn't even taking on, I don't think he was just, you know, moving and somebody clipped and he went down hard on his shoulder broken collarbone
0: I've heard of dozens of broken collarbones in futsal you, know,
2: you got down hard on a hard surface broken yeah. collarbone is is you know and that was a regular injury in the playgrounds in Britain growing up
1: have you met a futsal goalkeeper
0: <laughs> do they exist
1: oh they're they not, not broken, very much here <laughs> do they all have broken collarbones oh and the amount of concussion is I mean that can the ball is heavy how do you score from if, uh, if you're not in the back post it, it it's just You smash it. You smash it, what did the keeper do? He puts his face to save it and it's it's bad. And,
2: and and futsal the US futsal uses smoke and mirrors to to make it sound as though futsal is the game that you have to do. Futsal was just an option to use gymnasiums that they already had, you know, and you know, it was a safe you know, let's go for an option to use these gymnasiums, just like basketball evolved out of American football. And so, you know, but U.S. Futsal, reading their blurb about Futsal, you'd think this was by far and away the best option to play, and it's absolutely not because it destroys, with the low bounce ball, you know, with the danger to dribblers, it destroys the very foundation of what Brazil you know uh, you know used to be the greatest nation in soccer history on on the men's side of the game you know so but enough enough now let's look at passing stay with me here it's been said that a shot is the best of all penetrating passes think about for that for a second a shot is the best pass does that make sense of course it does Because shooting is the ultimate scoring skill. Whereas a pass simply transfers possession. And even the very best pass has to be crowned by a shot for a goal to be scored. So even before we look at passing in isolation, we know that our indoor environment is great for developing passing because it fosters exceptional shooters, finishers. That having been said you'll probably be interested to hear that our four versus fields provide the best game-based environment for learning how to become a maestro of the penetrating pass without going into intricate detail the sheer number of penetrating passes made by each of our players during the course of a four versus four game is unrivaled by any other form of soccer on our fields keeping possession in the defensive third by playing sideways or backwards gets quickly punished because space is at a premium. Therefore, going negative like many teams do outdoors, keeping possession around the back, is not an option on our fields. On the Legends and Soccer Box 4v4 fields, players only have one choice, which is to do more and go for it. And there's more good news. Our 4v4 game day environment yields more key penetrating passing attempts by a country mile than any other form of the game. What are your thoughts on that? You're preaching to the choir. Is that it? Is that all you can give me? <laughs> Am I going to do all the heavy lifting around here? <laughs> the 65-year-old is well, doing all of the heavy lifting. We've, we've <laughs> been, i have been glad your arms are intact we, given
0: we, the injury you had this week.
1: We've yeah. been talking for an hour, and you have a lot of notes. And Last week, you were on a rant to try to go through over <laughs> all of them. So we're trying to give you space. Why don't I just
2: do this podcast on my own? <laughs> i don't think we change much you know?
0: <laughs> philip and i'll start a, ri- a rival podcast we'll see which one gets more Co- coaching
1: coaching inside the box but better <laughs> no, coaching inside and
0: outside the box
2: please don't <laughs> <laughs> He wouldn't know how to turn on the equipment and so, anything. I, you know, this is so obvious. I'm not even going to go into receiving and tackling. Receiving and tackling in our facilities, thousands of more opportunities because it's so tight, it's so fast. You know, you got to get good at these skills. You'd have to be a you know a, a, an absolute motor moron to not be able to, <laughs> you know, get better at receiving and tackling. Being as this is such a such a completely obvious massive escalation compared to anything else you've ever witnessed in terms of game day exciting action.
0: I'll add to that because the intensity that exists within those fields during those sessions is so great. The receiving and tackling especially. I mean, you're always, when you're not on the ball, you're preparing to receive the ball because you're 10 feet from the ball and it's your teammate, or you're tackling. You're either tackling the ball or you're preparing to tackle the guy that you're marking who's 10 feet from the guy who has the ball. Um, and so the the intensity in these games is just off the charts.
2: I and mean, before getting back to the podcast, I really appreciate you participating in the podcast again. You know, because <laughs> you know you added to that. You know, and you, you got involved. The last time I asked, you had nothing. So you know,
0: <laughs> Andy continues his uh, his trial as the uh, podcast host. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> okay, so moving swiftly on, <laughs> the goalkeeper,
0: uh, Philippe. I think added to this already. Yeah.
2: The goalkeeper in, in, in our facilities, you know, as compared to the goalkeeper in the 200 foot by 85 foot MISL indoors or futsal, oh my God. Did I sound like Chandler from Friends?
1: Yeah. Don't watch
2: that show. Never heard of it. Why would anybody ever play futsal goalkeeper if they're trying to develop as a good goalkeeper? You know, you know, and let's be honest, why would you ever play games outdoors? You know, regular outdoor soccer games on you know 115 by 75 yard fields. If you ever want to be a good goalkeeper, because that's an exercise in 90 minutes of mostly boredom for a few brief moments of any activity at all.
1: I can't understand. I legit, I ask that question all the time. How can a kid have fun being a keeper outdoor at eight, seven years old? They stand there. Sometimes it, it's cold even, and the kid just stands there. You're and when the ball comes, the goal is huge. They shoot the ball, they run to the ball to try to save it. It's, there's no development happening.
0: You're undervaluing the excitement that a 7-8-year-old attaches to wearing a pair of gloves and having a different color shirt.
2: Okay, you should know you were my backup goalkeeper, and I, I love
0: those gloves and that different color shirt. Yeah. Oh
2: my god! Whenever our goalie got injured or you know couldn't make it to a game, you know you were always the guy that stepped in, you know in front of the bullets.
0: Oh, I, well, I always enjoyed diving at people's feet while they were swinging their legs. There was something about that that just excited me.
2: That explains why you haven't got the full shilling upstairs anymore. <laughs>
0: it does. <laughs> i was uh i was i was uh, uh always enthusiastic for those those tight moments
2: yeah. <laughs> you know this this is this is a shocking statistical game example specific to the goalkeeper in outdoor soccer most games are a bit lopsided and many games you know one of the goalies may well may as well take a snooze you know however on our four v four fields goalies are involved in Almost every play, you know, they have to be on their toes because in a split second the ball can turn over, and in the blink of an eye from anywhere on the field, the opposition can hit them with a shot and put the ball in the back of the net. You know, so they've got to be on their toes, they've got to be engaged every moment. They've got to be thinking, they've got to be thinking like a chess player, even if they're not actually active at the time. Because in, in any moment, the other team can make a move, and the ball's behind them in the back of the net. In futsal games. You know, you're playing on a hard, unforgiving, gymnasium surface designed mostly for hand sports such as tennis, basketball, badminton, volleyball and pickleball, where tackling with the feet is prohibited and diving is a rarity. Futsal goalies have to armour up to play and even then they pick up more than their fair share of elbow and hip injuries caused by diving on the hard surfaces. On our indoor fields, goalies get peppered, shelled, dribbled, blindsided, Chipped and bananaed, All practice and game long. In addition, they have to be incredibly good with their feet because space is at a premium and opposition pressure comes fast and furious. On our 4v4 fields, goalies have to make the three big saves all game long. What are the three big saves? One?
1: Diving save.
2: Diving. Two? Reaction. Reaction. Three? Breakaway. One-on-one. Yeah. Exactly, one-on-one. These are the three hardest saves to make. They define the greatest goalkeepers of all time because what are the alternatives? Dealing with crosses? That should be easy, shouldn't it? The goal is usually taller than every forward and at the same time, they've got the length of their arms to get above the forwards when they jump. So dealing with crosses, they have a massive, massive physical advantage usually when they're dealing with crosses. So the bonus is you know that we give our goal is the freedom you know in addition to dealing with the three hardest saves that define the greatest goalkeepers we give our goal is the freedom to go marauding forwards so that our goal is often score and get assists in our 4v4 indoor environment how much fun is that added to what a goalie does you know in other you know live defensive situations do you think they enjoy our games? Goalkeepers love playing in our games because from, from, from dawn to dusk, so to speak, from start to finish of every game, you know, they're involved, they're active, you know, and there is absolutely no substitute for a goalkeeper. I believe in any game format surrounding the game of soccer, no substitute in any game format for what we do in our indoor facilities. So if you're a goalkeeper, you need to be here. Because if you go anywhere else, you are not getting even a fraction of the competitive repetition that you need under pressure in that type of situation to be a great goalkeeper. And... Look at the pressure they have to, you know, and the problems they have to solve with their feet. They step outside the penalty area, they've got to do moves, they've got to have foot skills. And we teach those skills, we teach them how not to lose the ball when they're one-on-one right in front of goal. Blair Quinn, who's been an NCAA Division I goalkeeper and assistant coach for years and years and years now, Blair, when he, Blair, when he was a kid, played for me, and he played MISL for the Sacramento Heat. And he sent me a clip one day and I just roared with laughter because he was isolated on the boards outside of his penalty area, literally 30, 40 feet from his penalty area on the boards with the ball in possession, you know, and he had a defender right on his back. And he did a Maradona turn and destroyed the <laughs> defender for the other team. The defender was the other team's forward, so probably wasn't a good defender. But Blair just took him apart with a Maradona turn, and the crowd went nuts. Yeah. You know, it, you know and where did he learn that? For the legends. You know, his confidence with the ball at his feet was supreme because he had to participate in lots of legends soccer foot drills. You know, and he had to play all his games under pressure where he dribbled outside of the box and took shots, you know, if they didn't pressure him when he got the ball, you know, and there's no place to hide if you're a goalie on our field. Well, and
0: the boxes are intentionally small, so the, the keepers oftentimes end up out of their box with the ball at their feet um, with, with problems to solve. Um, and so um, I feel like our keepers, not just because we teach skill, yes, because we teach skill and we teach them skill, but I feel like our, our, our keepers are such better decision-makers on the ball because of the number of re- repetitions in tight spaces during 4v4 Saturday indoor um, where they've had to make decisions um, and experience uh, mistakes.
2: So mo- most importantly, I'm going to ask our viewers from what we've said, do you think that our crazy 4v4, bats in a cave, chaotic league games make our goalkeepers significantly better than any other competitive environment? Better at every aspect of their unique role. You know, even if you don't think so, we have done the hard study and work. We've done the statistical evaluations. And we know that... What we've got here makes them way better, by a country mile better. The jury's not out. The jury unanimously voted for boarded 4v4 for the goalkeepers. There's no downside to this environment, guys. Yeah, for sure.
0: Andy, as we march toward our wrap-up, I think we might do it again two episodes in a row. Uh But we're not. We're not.
2: We've got to deal with this part of our... No, saying,
0: unique. I think we might do it again. Two episodes in a row. Finish your notes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking you were cutting me short. No, I was yeah. teeing you up. Yeah. I'm. I'm. You know, reasonably close. <laughs> <laughs> reasonably. <laughs> hey. oh. the soccer box gold mine. This is. We're flipping. We're flipping. We're going away from the, the actual fields. As good as they are, we've got something that's equally as good for developing on match days, our players. You know, this is just incredible. You know, in our soccer soccer boxes, you can do one-on-one. You can do box fighting, which is what we call our one-on-ones. So, you know, we can do an hour warm-up before the game starts. The players are already going to be here. You know, the, the, the parents are already, you know, in the habit of turning up as the kids get older, 45 minutes before games, you know, in order to get warmed up and, you know, get ready for their outdoor games. So, you know, we get them to turn up here an hour before, 15 minutes before they usually turn up for the outdoor games, you know, and we get into our soccer boxes. It's a goldmine, you know, and we're not going to go into the rules of, of one-on-ones, the box fighting, you know, the, the things that we can do you know, in our soccer boxes, we can do uh, shooting games where you have to take a touch before shooting it back at the front wall. You know, we're gonna deal with one type of shooting game, you know, which is first time shooting in our soccer boxes. Remember, we've got 70 of these boxes in our facility here. And, you know, here's what I do. Before games, I ask my players to turn up one hour early to get an extra soccer box practice in before their games at our facility. They're gonna be here anyway. So no extra gas. You know, parents can drop the kids off, go and have a cup of coffee somewhere if they don't want to watch the Hour of Soccer Box. They can go and shop. There's plenty of stores around here that they can buy, you know, just about anything they want, you know. There's even that big Swedish Ikea store right across Andy's the street his favorite here. spot. You know, well, this furniture's cheap. Yeah, you know, I'm cheap. So, <laughs> 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 so anyway, so with, with two players per box and one hour spent in the boxes before each game, the stats are as followed. Wait for it, this is good. Each player takes an average of 10 shots a minute with two players in a box. Each round is four minutes. Each player takes 40 shots per round. They play 10 rounds of box soccer in that hour. That's 400 shots that each player takes before every game that they would not take. Every single game they play, they've just added 400 shots under pressure, first time in the box, to their shooting skill. Now, imagine we do that all the way through the winter for about 20 weeks. You know, that's 8,000 shots. Got it? 8,000 shots. Just turning up an hour before a game and doing the soccer box thing. With one player in each box, which is preferable, one hour spent in the box before each game, the stats are as follows. Each player takes 20 shots in a minute. Each round is four minutes. Wait, did you just double? One player in the box. Yes, I doubled because they're half in the number of players in the box.
1: Exactly. You're so smart. <laughs> <laughs>
2: was that funny in
1: Brazilian? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> he, he's going to go through all the math. He just took one
2: kid away. It's obviously going to be double.
1: <laughs> need to go through all also, the math sar- again. sarcastic. I was sarcastic.
2: I, I was, you know... I was actually dealing with this for normal Brazilian people that aren't as intelligent as you. Oh, okay.
1: (laughs)
0: Philippe, one exceptional math problem at a time.
2: Um, You got to do it in Portuguese. They don't speak English. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not even go there. You poked the bear. You got to do it now. Each player takes 20 shots in a minute. Each round is four minutes. Each player takes 80 shots per round. Those that do play 10 rounds of box soccer in that hour... and. I have never, ever gone into the boxes an hour before a game with my teams and not had a box each per player in this facility. They're always free. You know, so, you know, they're always They shouldn't be. Our coaches should be packing those boxes. It's a real problem if they're always free because it means a whole bunch of our coaches are not using the yeah. boxes for an hour before the game to leverage them for the 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 absolutely obvious, you know, benefits to shooting and finishing and passing that getting in those boxes bestow on our players. So let's go back again. Each player takes 20 shots in a minute if there's one per box. Each round is four minutes. Each player takes 80 shots per round. Those that do play 10 rounds of box soccer in that hour, that's 800 shots that each player takes before every game. 800 shots. Massive. Absolutely massive. Massive. You know, do it for 10 weeks, 8,000. Do it for the 20 weeks that we do it over the winter, 16,000 shots. Play two games a week indoors and do it twice, which a lot of our teams do, 32,000 shots. Monstrous. Monstrous. Game changer. Game changer. World changer. You know, unbelievable. Even when we only shoot for 30 minutes before games, each player gets at least 200 shots when playing box soccer with a teammate or 400 shots if they have the box to themselves. That's massive. Massive. You know, so even if we're forced into, you know, the the least of the options because eventually people start using our boxes to the degree that they should, it's still massive. Thoughts? More is more. More is more More is There's more absolutely no doubt More is more <laughs> You thought it was one page, didn't you? Okay For Drum roll, please
1: <laughs> One day he's going to come with a, Like a Norigami And he's going to open It's going to be like, <laughs> it's be like those, uh, those, those Those clown clips like, it, Where just
0: another clown Just gets out of the car
2: I'm going to bring a Bible <laughs> It is in the indoor soccer environment that the tremendous skills of Legends players first reap great rewards. Due to the combined field space, eight foot dasherboards, lightning fast speed of play, and close proximity of defenders and teammates, everything our players do on our four vivo fields and in the soccer boxes is more difficult than 99% of situations encountered in outdoor soccer and other versions of indoor. As a direct consequence, our players develop bats-in-a-cave radar. The table tennis-like speed under pressure soccer environment we provide makes thinking and acting quickly an instantaneous process. Over time, legends train players develop a whole different way of thinking and playing when compared to children trained in other environments and philosophies. Our players become conditioned to succeed at speed, and enjoy a far greater degree of individual dribbling and goal-scoring success than players trained on outdoor fields or larger indoor spaces, whatever they may be, futsal, MISL-style fields. As a direct result of all the time spent in the competitive cauldron right in front of goal that we offer, legends-trained players become vastly better at beating opponents, scoring goals and providing assists in the outdoor penalty area. The individual and collective feelings of superiority they first experience in our unique facilities leads to an unshakable belief that they can individually and collectively dominate opponents outdoors. It is important to note that the unique indoor Legends training environment provides a vital access code to our lightning fast technical and tactical way of playing. As a result of players Uh, Doing this, they acquire a very high level of positive self-awareness and confidence. Without the opportunities our unique indoor training centers provide, the process of developing great creative skill and a Leo Messi-like self-belief can never occur. Note, Leo Messi actually grew up with the equivalent of a mostly undercover and surrounded box soccer court right outside of his kitchen on the side of his house. As a kid, Diego Maradona's backyard was a little larger than our biggest box soccer courts and on three sides had rebound walls and on one side a wire mesh fence so the ball couldn't get out. We get criticised all the time for having creative fantasies about our facilities and philosophy. But the simple truth is that all the truly great players in world history developed their amazing dribbling and goal scoring ability in weirdly similar environments. To be honest, it wasn't difficult to figure out this way to develop unbelievable dribblers and goal scorers. All we had to do was make a copy of where the greats came from. What's proving difficult here in the USA is getting kids to our facilities seven days a week so that they learn to play like the Brazilian street kids that become the world's greatest players. The Pelés, the Ronaldos, the Ronaldinhos. And before Philippe gets too big a head, I'm going to stop. (laughs) <laughs> and, and honestly though need we go on I mean if you've listened to this episode and you don't understand why our facilities are light years better for your player you know whether you know it's as a field player or a goalkeeper then I'm sorry you, you really need to go get some psychological help you know and and you know the, the crazy thing is it's better for life as well and this is a finishing statement the confidence, the bravery, the creativity, the things that kids build in this environment carry over into every other situation in life. It's like acting. You know, I have a daughter who's an actress. No environment in life intimidates her. She gets up and she dives into every single new environment she encounters. That's the benefit of drama and also debate. You know i grew up in a debate household debating with oxford university students when i was a kid why do you think i'm able to you know to to be here and make sense in this podcast at least i think i'm making sense <laughs> 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 I, knew, I knew that was Took the words out of my head <laughs> hey, guys i was being serious there <laughs> i thought you were being sarcastic
1: at this time yeah
2: you know, but honestly, you know, I was in debate class every breakfast and every dinner time with some of the most intelligent people on the planet. So I, I got to debate all different things. Everything you can think about was debated, debated over the years. Why did you not learn anything from them? Yeah,
0: Andy I, won every one, war of attrition.
2: I had a natural IQ of one. You know, and he, and was, so, still,
0: he was still talking. Yeah, I made
2: the most of my natural IQ. It's, it's still not very good, Um but when it comes right down to it, you know, <laughs> you it's, hear what he said. I, I don't ever listen to Andrew what did he, say? he uh, said.
0: He was still talking. He was still talking when they were asleep. <laughs> War of attrition, and he won every debate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know, you know, we um, at times we take ourselves seriously. Most of the time, we don't. Um, but but hopefully, this is the serious part. Hopefully, you get it now, and hopefully, you realise this is not just about soccer. Yes, we've, we we develop the the most skillful players. I think it's possible to develop. You know, in in the 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 North American situation, yeah, the
0: modern day uh, yeah. constraints that we're provided, right?
2: And culture. and when our players leave, and they always leave to go to a higher level of play. If they're playing Division Five for us, and they leave, you know, in the Heartland Soccer League to go play for another team, we see them. They pop up playing Division One or Division Two. So you know, they get seduced away from us. They get recruited like crazy because every team that we play against wants a legends player. Yep. Thankfully, we grow because we get more people. Because people know that we do a better job of developing the skillful players, and every player that leaves us, their skills go backwards after they leave us. You know, it's always happened. You know, I, I was having a conversation with the parent of one of the latest players to leave us to go on to what they think is a better thing, you know, and he said the same thing. We're hoping that that doesn't happen to our kid, you know, and it will, unfortunately. You know, it's hundreds of examples, I do not believe that this kid, no matter how good she is, how athletically talented, is the one that's going to dodge the developmental bullet. You know, that's just not possible in my opinion. I'd love to see it happen. I don't wish ill upon any player that leaves us and goes on to another level. And make no bones about it. They always play at a higher level than they would have done if they'd never played for us. For sure. You know, but they lose a lot of what they had that made them really, really special. Margin of greatness. Margin of greatness while they were here. So, you know, digest this. Call us if you if you want some information. Email us, we'll send you the information you need, we'll help you out as best we can. I spend a chunk of my time just answering phone calls for people you know that have heard about us on the podcast. My personal cell phone number is 913 636 4073. You're welcome to give me a call, I won't answer it on the first call because you could be a telemarketer, but leave me a message, I will get back to you. You know and you know, and and you know, we can have a conversation. So, you know, we want to help we, because kids are not getting what they need from the other systems that they're involved with. Anything well said, else, guys? Uh,
0: another great episode. Um, and the winter's around the corner, the massive development uh advantage that we have on our competitors just around the corner. Can't wait to see what the kids accomplish this winter.
2: Thanks, We've, guys.
1: Winter is coming, winter's coming. The goose is Thanks. getting fat. See ya. <laughs>